I'm Dave Laird. I'm Matt Booker. And welcome everybody to a year in review episode. We're going to talk about 2018. It's the Great Concavity. Well, hey, Matt, welcome to a new year. It's 2019, first week of January. Happy New Year, man. Happy New Year. And to, and to our listeners. Happy New Year to everyone listening. This will be our first episode of 2019. And uh-huh. in the past, typically we've done um, kind of a year-end wrap-up in late December. And we're doing it now in early January. So we can truly look back on the whole year uh-huh. and talk about the things that we liked or what we didn't like and maybe even like what events affected us in 2018. Mm. Um, I know some people uh, hate this kind of episode. Um, yeah, it's and not for everyone. We've got some feedback like that. We've got some it, feedback that people just want to hear, you know, us talk about like Kierkegaard and Nietzsche uh. and Derrida and shit. And then <laughs> some, some people um, do like this kind of a show. And, uh, you know, we hope to speak to those people. So the people yeah. who are, if you're interested in some book recommendations, mm-hmm. um, some talk about music and films and other, you know, what happened also kind of in the world of like Wallace studies in 2018, yeah, yeah. then stick around for the next uh, 59 minutes and we'll try to talk about it. <laughs> we'll try and keep it under an hour. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, we often get people asking throughout the year about this episode and like, if, if there's going to be more music, if there's going to be a playlist, uh, things like that. So uh, we are a very specific literature podcast, but uh, that kind of like, you know, peripherally goes into the area of culture and pop culture as well. So we get to kind of look a little bit outside our interests in Wallace here this this episode every year and um, talk about some things that like if you like Wallace, you might like some of these other things as well is kind of the idea. So. Um, and I thought the way that we would do this is um, to first kind of talk generally about some events um, and sure. uh, and then move into some of the Wallace scholarship specific stuff that happened. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then um, we'll get into our recommendations for books, music, films, uh, podcasts, maybe. And, mm-hmm. and then at the end of the show, we do have some questions uh, from our patron listeners that sent uh-huh. us a few questions we're going to try to answer at the end of the show. Um, <laughs> Some of which may get more satisfying answers from us than others. <laughs> that's right. I don't, don't expect greatness in that part for me, unfortunately, no. but I'll do my best. But um, yeah, I wanted to start out by saying that 2018, you know, there were several big things that happened uh, to to me or to, you know, the, the Wallace kind of community in general. And, um, you know, one was that 2018 was the 10th anniversary of Wallace's death. Uh And we saw a few pieces come out around that time. Um, I'm thinking especially of a piece that was in the times literary supplement by David Straitfield. Um, but there were other pieces that came out and, uh, you know, I wrote a little thing on my blog, just trying to reflect on how the world changed Uh in the past 10 years and really what, you know, what was the world like, uh, when Wallace left it, 
um, mm-hmm. because it's it's changed quite a bit. And looking yeah. back on what that world was like in 2008 uh, was pretty enlightening for me. And I, I enjoyed revisiting that time, even though there was a lot of dark stuff going on. Um, yeah. The other thing, um, you know, a couple of other things that happened during the year were right at the tail end of the year, um, we, meaning the David Foster Wallace Society, published the journal of David Foster uh-huh. Wallace Studies. And that's something we had had in the works for two years, um, you know, yeah. in, in various states of completion. Um, but now the fact that it's done and it's being mailed out and people are reading uh-huh. it, um, you know, that's a pretty big milestone that, um, you know, at the beginning of 2017, the society was formed and now the journal is out there and we're working Uh on issue two. And it's sort of like an accumulation of like momentum around, you know, Wallace being a part of this like academic, you know, what I would call the ALA world, right? Where ALA American literature association is like made up Uh of hundreds of these single author societies or multiple author societies, but mostly single author societies, the Edith Wharton society, the Henry Mm. James society, the, you know, now there's Cormac McCarthy society or Don DeLillo, George Saunders, Nabokov, all of those people get together, you know, once a year at ALA and they all have their journals and their conferences in various levels of, um, involvement and, uh, you know, and I've thought in the past, like, whoa, what kind of person joins, like, the Dante Society? You know, the, <laughs> <laughs> they love those circles, man. Well, there's Paradiso, too, which is, like, not hell, but, um, <laughs> you know, they like the, they have the a opposite. journal, and they actually have, like, a really good website. We'll link to it in the oh, show yeah. notes, the Dante Society. Cool, um, cool. But now that, you know, Wallace has become part of that, I think that's a... That's a milestone for the year. Yeah, that's really exciting for for us. And um, it's been really cool to see people um, get the journals. And a lot of people are posting pictures of it on social media and stuff. I got mine in the mail yesterday from you. So that was really exciting. And uh, Michael O'Connell today posted on Instagram. I think you saw this too, that he's already read it cover to cover. Yeah, that which, was very exciting. Wow. For a piece of like collection of scholarship, it's not necessarily like the fastest, most, you know, cotton candy type reading so the fact that he's already blitzed it is is pretty impressive way to go mike yeah i actually thought there's a i mean especially the first essay is pretty dense so like mm-hmm. reading the whole book like that's pretty impressive so quickly. <laughs> yeah yeah totally yeah right on um the other thing that i just wanted to mention uh related somewhat to this was the we had an episode about the conference but there, that was also a milestone of the um, the ISU conference in Illinois this year. There was a lot of good uh, scholarship there, mm-hmm. and it's sort of like a uh, family reunion of sorts for for to see all of the the people who we've seen in the past and meet new people. Um, totally. So that that was a, a highlight for me of getting to go to the ISU conference. This was my fourth time in five years so i missed Mm -hmm. 2016 yeah um dave and i met at the 2015 conference i think yeah yeah i think that's right and then 
Uh, we did the live show at the 2017 conference, and then mm-hmm. I think you were in New Zealand this summer. Is that right? I was. Yeah, I missed it. So when did you had, when did you go back and forth to New Zealand? What were your arrival and departure dates? Uh, we left end of January and we got home mid August. So we were there for about six months, just under. And uh, we'll be going back there probably in September for a year. So have about eight more months here at home. And then off we go again. So we'll see what 2020 looks like, if I can make it back for, uh, for a conference or not. Hopefully. Oh, cool. Yeah. And while, while we were at the conference this summer, um, you know, I woke up there that Friday morning to the news that Anthony Bourdain had committed suicide. Right. And you know, that affected me pretty deeply, like more yeah, so than I thought. Uh, and, you know, in the months since then, uh, I mean, it's just terrible when anyone kills themselves, especially someone who you think is, you know, doing well as a human being or, or mm-hmm. happy with life on the outside. Yeah. Um, but I also felt like... Mm, after the fact, he was more of a kind of a hero or role model to me than I had acknowledged at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you often hear this question like, oh, if you could have dinner with any person like living or dead or like who would mm-hmm. be your ideal like at a dinner party? And like mm-hmm. he, he was up there for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, wow. th- I think he's really interesting, too, because he was a writer before he was a television personality. Oh, yeah. um, and he's not often credited as a writer, but uh, Maria Bustillos has this great, you know, the kind of the last interview with him oh, really? um, from February of this year, or you know, I think it came out in April, or she did it in April. Anyways, um, she also wrote a long piece about his novels, uh, and I really like the one called Gone Bamboo. Uh, he has another one called Bone in the Throat, but if you mm-hmm. haven't read those and you like kind of like Elmore Leonard style, smart, like it's kind of like crime fiction. Um, you should check those out. I really oh, like interesting. them. Yeah. I didn't know they wrote fiction. That's cool. I mean, he is famous for writing those nonfiction books like kitchen confidential. Um, yeah. but all of his books are, you know, have his cookbooks and his kind of travel log books, like a, the cook's tour mm-hmm. book. Um, mm-hmm. but he's this phenomenal writer and it's terrible loss. And I was very, um, yeah, affected by him I and mean, we lost a lot of people this year but uh, mm-hmm. the ones that probably affected me most were him and uh, Ricky Jay hmm. and Ricky Jay was uh, kind of a polymath uh, it was a magician a historian of, historian of magic but also uh, a great writer and um, actor hmm. yeah I'm not I'm not too familiar with him other uh, other big Wallace developments this year that that struck him out um, well, in terms of Wallace scholarship, there was uh, an important book came out this year. Uh, I think it was published this year, and that was the Cambridge Companion to Dave mm-hmm. Foster Wallace, edited yeah, by uh, Ralph Clare. Right. And, uh, you know, there's a bunch of familiar names on there. If you've listened to the podcast, you've heard, you know, Marshall Boswell and uh, Lee Constantino. Matt Luter has Matt an essay Luter. in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Herring, Jeff Sievers, Claire Hayes Brady. Um, you know, Bob McLaughlin, a lot of people who... All Luke, the big guns. Yeah, Lucas Thompson. Uh, yeah. So it's a really phenomenal book, and uh, I wish we had more time to talk about it and go through it. Uh, I really like the way that it's structured to be a, 
a companion. Like if you've never read any Wallace scholarship, this should be like a pretty good companion point. Yeah. A starting point. Cause it gives you like an overview of his work and his like context of how he was received or his work was received. And then, and then it goes into like the, the books and like Matt Luter's uh, essay is about broom of the system and girl with curious hair. And then Adam Kelly writes about brief interviews. David Herring writes about oblivion. Jeff Seavers writes about the nonfiction. Oh yeah. So uh, all the bases get covered. Yeah. They cool. cover all the bases and Claire writes about the pale King and Mary Holland writes about infinite jest. Hmm. And then there's a whole series of essays at the end about themes and topics, everything from religion, race, politics, um, it's really great uh, kind of comprehensive book for being so slim. Mm. And, uh, you know, there there are several more monographs coming out in 2019. 2019. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm excited about there's supposed to be an MLA companion to David Foster Wallace that's like a teaching companion. It's oh, yeah, supposed yeah. to come out. I think it's co-edited by Mary, Kay Holland. Mary Holland and Stephen Mike. Byrne. Yeah. Does Mike Miley have a piece in that coming, I think? I think so. I think there are yeah. several other familiar names in there that have mm-hmm. pieces in there. Uh, yeah. And then there's also this book by John Baskin coming out from Stanford University Press. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's coming out in August or September, and that looks really good. It looks like mainly about mental health, which not a lot of um, critics have directly engaged with with Wallace. Mm-hmm. This is the one we just learned about this week, right? Mm, I think it's been a couple weeks. Uh, was a couple. The one we just learned about this week was uh, from Bloomsbury. Uh, not Bloomsbury, I don't think. Jamie Redgate, that's the author's name. So anyways, yeah, that book is called Wallace and I, and it's with Routledge, which is... Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that book, Wallace and I, that looks really good. So that's at least three books we know of coming out in 2019. So there's a lot going on there. Yeah. Any any other Wallace stuff that you want to mention specifically that happened in uh, 2018 or any other events that, that affected you personally? And did you go to Worlds this year? <laughs> yeah, that'd be a funny thing to talk about. I mean, yeah, sure. I guess in a very microcosmic sense, uh, Netrunner got canceled. That impacted me. Uh, but I did go to the last world championship in Minnesota in September with about 10 friends from BC and we got an Airbnb house and we had a blast. It was a really fun time. Um, there were what, about 400 people playing, so it was a good turnout. What Usually you, there's 250. What did you place? Uh, 55th overall. 55th. Yeah. So in order to make, uh, there was a second day you had to win 10 games and lose four or better. And I managed to go 10 and 4 on the first day. So I made day two. There's about 60 people who made day two. And then the top 16 of that went on to play like a finals tournament. And I had to just win two games on the day to get to top 16. And I lost the first one. So I, I was out of the running for that. I could have made like top 32, but uh, I, I split with the next person. So it was a good time though. I, uh, I actually did did the best of anyone from, from BC. Uh, and I guess like all of Western Canada. Uh, mm. So there was some guys from Toronto who made the top 16 uh, and some others who, who made day two as well. So it was, yeah, it was really pri- privileging to be sort of in that 
uh, caliber of player. And, um, you know, like a lot of the former world champions were in that group and some really high level play- players didn't quite even make day two. So uh, I felt pretty, pretty psyched about that as, a, as the ending to Netrunner for me. So, <laughs> oh, that's cool. uh, and I actually, I actually had some great conversations with people there about Wallace. Um, one guy came up to me, we were talking, he presented at like, I think maybe the footnotes conference in, was it New York in 2009? Is that right? I was there. I presented yeah. at that conference. Yeah. So, uh, so him and I talked, uh, friend Luke rule from Sydney and I talked for a while. He goes, I didn't, I just realized, I just learned that you do a podcast on Wallace. I'm a huge fan. I've read like this and this and this by him. Um, one of my opponents in like the fifth round, him and I talked about literature while we were playing a whole bunch, and he put me on to this writer, Eudora Welty. Have you come oh, across her before? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I've not, I hadn't hadn't read to her, and uh, he was he was really interested in Wallace too. So, the 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 overlap in that community and this community was really cool, and um, you know, in some ways, surprising. So, that was really fun. Um, yeah, I guess a big life thing this year was New Zealand for me. That was that was a cool time. It's a great country. And, uh, Wallace mentions Eudora Welty uh, in, well, he's quoted in a biography of saying that, uh, you know, he he was on stage with this guy uh, getting the, I think it was the Whiting Award from Eudora Welty, presented it to him, and mm-hmm. then he mm-hmm. ran into the same guy when he was, like, working at the gym, like, as a towel boy, and, like, he, oh, yeah. he dove under there. It's like he was on stage with Eudora Welty. Oh, I remember this. Yeah, and okay. now he's like handing oh, this right. guy's towel. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, one other Wallace <laughs> connection I had this uh, past year was in October. I went to Marfa, Texas for the first time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. always wanted to go to Marfa, Texas. That was for your birthday, right? It was, it was for a, a wedding, but I was there on my birthday. Right. Okay. And. Um, you know, Wallace lived in Marfa in 2000 as part of the Lannan Foundation. They have a, a grant program for writers to come and stay in a house. They have two houses there, maybe three houses or four. I mean, they have like a whole block. And two of the houses are always reserved for visiting writers. It's kind of like a writer's retreat or uh-huh. colony, mini colony. And... Um, Wallace wrote about this, or he didn't write about it. He wrote a blurb for the Landon Foundation in support of his time there. Uh, and he lived across the street during that time from a writer named Sean Wilsey, who wrote a memoir called Oh, the Glory of It All. And mm-hmm. in, in that memoir, Sean Wilsey talks about living across the street from David Foster Wallace and Marfa uh, yeah. and how they would go on road trips and sing musical stuff together and... Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they that's even when Wallace went to Austin hmm. uh, and saw the bats come out from underneath the bridge and whatnot. Um, <laughs> but the the houses there are there. Um, I basically stayed in our Airbnb house directly behind one that shared like a back fence with oh, one of cool. those houses. And of, so, of course, I was like trying to figure out who the visiting riders were. And the one that was nearest to us was a writer named Layla Leilami, which sounds like a fake name, but it's a real name. <laughs> and she had a reading while we were there from her book called The Moore's Account. Um, and so I bought the book and 
the the house I also think is the same house that Ben Lerner stayed in. Yeah, uh, for, for ten oh four. For ten oh four, right? Yeah, I was gonna bring that up. <clears throat> I watched uh, a TV show recently called I Love Dick that's set in Marfa. I love that show. Yeah, yeah. I recommend Kevin Bacon. Yes, and it's Chris Krause. So like, um, when I was in Marfa, I actually bought Chris Krause's newest book about uh, it's a biography of Kathy Acker. Oh, yeah. And it's phenomenal, and she. Every, I think everything Chris Cross does is excellent, and I recommend. Uh, I love Dick, the book and the TV show. Oh, yeah. uh, like you said, Kevin Bacon plays Dick, mm-hmm. and it's all filmed in Marfa. Um, yeah. And you know, the, just seeing some of these houses, though, that I think Ben Lerner described pretty well in Ten O Four. He also talks about. Robert Coover living in uh, yeah. one of the houses across the street, and Robert Coover basically died there. Um, oh, did he? Huh. Uh, he got very sick and was taken to a hospital and died shortly thereafter. Basically, died there. Oh, and, I didn't know that. And it's kind of like the ghost of Robert Coover kind of haunts those that area, and it's very oh, kind of spooky at night. So, like, I walked around there at night by myself and. Um, you know, it's very quiet, it's very dark, and it's there's very little movement because there's so few huh. people. Um, so uh, I highly recommend it. If you ever get out to Marfa, Texas, uh, I can point you to the block. I think Ben Lerner actually puts the address in 1004. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it's not hard to find. But, um, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Just seeing that and trying to imagine, like, the appeal of it for Wallace had to have been that kind of quiet solitude. Yeah, you know, I can to, imagine. And the super nice houses too. They also, I think, give all those riders a Prius while they're there. Oh, really? So there's like <laughs> on that block, there's like seven Priuses or six Priuses or something. It's very, oh, that's, it's very that's weird. Funny. Wow, that's hilarious. The main reason to go to Marfa is not to see that stuff, though. That I was saying, it's really to um, see the Chinati Foundation and the Donald Judd artwork that is there. Uh, you know, the, the Landon Foundation probably would not be there if it were not for Donald Judd. Um, and there's a ton of uh, other art that Judd was able to bring to Marfa. And, uh, you know, if you don't know, I, I have an absolute fascination with Donald Judd and love his artwork. And uh, somewhat related to this in 2018, in early 2018, around February or so, uh, a major art piece opened in Austin um, called Austin by uh, the artist Ellsworth Kelly. Okay. And it's really like a kind of uh, secular chapel. Oh, yeah. Okay. The, We've talked the about way, this, right? I think so. The way that um, like the Rothko Chapel is, uh, you know, a, a work of art as a building. Oh, yeah. Um, That's in Houston, just, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Just built for mark rothko paintings Mm. um but ellsworth kelly building is a little bit different uh in that it's really meant to bring in light through these colored panels Mm. um so that that was a big deal because austin is not like an art destination city Mm. um probably marfa has almost as much great art as austin i mean it's not entirely true but they for modern art it is um, That's crazy from like a size comparison population. Yeah, comparison no, it's, situation. you can't you can't get like a good taco on Monday morning in Marfa. <laughs> sure, or like South but, Southwest. <laughs> but um, but the fact that they have like a world class art 
museum and foundation there is really incredible. Yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Right on. So, uh, what were the big books for you this year, Matt? Let's dig it. Um, so I kind of divided up my books into, um, books that were new in 2018 Mm -hmm. and books that were published before 2018. Um, and the, I'll just start at the top. The book that I'm, I think that I will think about the most. Mm -hmm. And I think that matches, um, kind of my interest in Wallace or what attracted me to infinite chess the most is uh, a book that came out in late 2016 and I think I bought in 2017 mm-hmm. based on uh, a podcast. I think I know uh, what you're going to say here. And I, um, and if I'm correct, I've also started reading it. I got it for Christmas. Is it Novel Explosives by Jim Gower? Novel Explosives All by right. Jim Gower. Yeah, so far so good. I'm really liking it. It's a big fat novel, you know, and if you like, uh, you know, seven, eight hundred, nine hundred page novel, mm-hmm. th- this is for you. <laughs> um, and like I say, the book came out in late 2016 and it was um, it was not I would not have heard of it if it were not for uh, Michael Silverblatt having Jim Gower on, on Bookworm, Bookworm. Yeah. and, uh, you know, Stephen Moore promoting the book through mm-hmm. uh, this publisher, Zero Gram Press, which really their only books are, or at least the first two books were this book and then Stephen Moore's collection, um, which I wrote about on my blog oh, yeah. and maybe you've mentioned here yeah. called My Back, my back Pages. Yep. Um, I really liked that book as well. Mm-hmm. So it's no coincidence that like Stephen Moore is involved in this. Right. And, um, <laughs> But the book, for those who, let me, if you haven't heard of it, I'll try to give a kind of summary, a synopsis, and then say some things that I especially liked about the book. Uh-huh. Yeah, just don't um, spoil it for me right now, okay? I'm, I'm not going to spoil it for <laughs> you, I promise. Um, there's uh, kind of three narrative strands in the book, which might sound familiar. Um, one is about a guy who wakes up in Guanajuato, Mexico, uh-huh. and does not know who he is. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of a mystery. Uh-huh. And then it flashes around to another story about a guy who is a venture capitalist. But a Marxist. Uh, <clears throat> Marxist venture the, capitalist, Perhaps right? the only Marxist <clears throat> venture capitalist in the world. And that's that's how Gower describes himself. He had yeah. <laughs> previously worked for like a private equity company doing um, mergers and acquisitions, uh-huh. but he was really uh, like a poet at heart. Right. Um, and the parts around that storyline, I think, are incredibly well done. And, and so just like, funny so far. Like I'm it, laughing a lot. Yes. Yes, and just no one who's like really knows that world, I think, is smart enough to write this kind of a novel about it, uh-huh. except him. Um, so that the third one, the third storyline is really about uh, kind of two guys who are involved in the drug cartel in Juarez, Mexico, and they are looking for a suitcase full of money. And to me, that's where you get in a little bit of like the Bolaño stuff where you've got Juarez, you've got the drug cartels. Mm -hmm. Um, And it also reminds me a lot of kind of the later seasons of Breaking Bad Mm -hmm. where you've got drug cartels involved and you've got 
you know, a guy on the run and you've got hired killers and <laughs> there's a lot of like excitement in those parts. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing I really loved about the book is that the guy is just so incredibly smart in so many different ways. It reminds me a bit of Wallace mm-hmm. and like he has this, a phenomenal vocabulary. Yeah. So it's also the kind of book I think if you like, you know, circling unfamiliar words and looking them up later, mm-hmm. uh, there's a ton of that in here. Yeah. So uh, I would say, you know, if people want to know what was my like best reading experience of the year, it's probably that book. Nice. That's cool. Um, There was another similar book that did come out, uh, I think, in about May of this year Uh that we reviewed on the David Foster Wallace Society blog. And that is Lost Empress by Sergio de la Pava. Mm -hmm. And... I really think this book is phenomenal. And um, if you've read De La Pava's other books, then you'd definitely be interested in this. I think this is kind of his breakout book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more mainstream. The book has a kind of funny, absurd central plot mm-hmm. ab- about a kind of amateur football team that comes to like compete with the NFL <laughs> called the called the Patterson pork. And, uh, you know, there's kind of some absurd football stuff in infinite jest, right? In yeah. The future totally. where like the Cardinals, like actually fly into the stadium and Oren is this, on this crazy team. Um, but there's also because De La Pava himself is a prosecutor or no, I'm sorry, public defender oh, yeah. in, in New York. Um, he knows the, criminal justice system really well there Mm -hmm. and so he writes really well about like Rikers Island and the cases that are in um, what it's called like the dungeons of the holding cells in lower Manhattan Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's kind of like a lot of polyphonic voices I would say like where you know he's got a 911 dispatcher uh, who gives an incredible performance and then you don't hear from ever again uh, and the, really the ending of that book, if you've read the book and want to talk about the ending of it, I would love to talk about it more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's something going on there with the William Carlos Williams oh, Patterson yeah. and also something like somehow related to the movie, the fugitive huh. starring uh, Harrison Ford. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> okay. That sounds wild. Uh, so, but I really recommend that book. Like I say, if you like, big fat novels with a lot of crazy names and dialogue mm-hmm. and and yet some sort of like almost operatic storytelling mm-hmm. in the middle of it so that that's kind of my big two i have like probably a handful of other books i want to talk about yeah. but what about you do you have a top book of read of the year uh yeah i would say shadow bond by steve erickson's probably my the, my favorite book that i read this year uh, we talked about it before. I think we talked about it last year on this episode. You'd read it, and yeah, I finally tra- I really tracked like it down. Book. Yeah, it was. It's really Delillo-esque, I think, which is great. Um, it strikes me as you know just another really poignant nine eleven novel, and deals with it in a really strange, magically real way. And yeah, man, what a what a rad book. I read uh, I read Skippy Dies this year. Um, oh yeah, which is uh, we talked about with Tim Grillman actually, like way way back, 
uh, one of the earliest episodes. And uh, so I finally got around to reading that. I read uh, Lolita for the first time this year. Oh, my God. Yeah, Seriously? Yeah, I know. It's one of those books that I just, like, for whatever reason, hadn't got around to yet. And, but I always heard people talk about. Um, so I did that. I read a couple of David Markson books this year. This is not a novel. And uh, just recently finished Wittgenstein's Mistress. No. <laughs> <laughs> which I think I liked This is no- Not a Novel better, which maybe is well, controversial. You- I don't know about that. Just yeah. keep reading the other ones, you know. I mean, go mm-hmm. now read Reader's Block and Vanishing Point mm-hmm. and yeah. the last novel. And, yeah, yeah. And then keep going and, uh, you know, if you like those four, which I do mm-hmm. very much, mm-hmm. then you go read uh, Evan Lavender Smith's book, From Old Notebooks, which is kind of a similar take on it. Mm-hmm. And also I'd say if you like that book, read um, Joe Brainerd's book, I Remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, that book was phenomenal. I don't know if you're familiar with it, concept but this came out before Markson okay. in the 60s and it, every line of the book starts with I remember mm. and some of it is just like you know I remember penny arcades I remember yeah. ice cream on Sundays and then some of it's like longer sections but that starts with I remember uh, and that's been redone and redone by several other writers mm. and artists and is as I think that actually Glenn Kenny redid that about Wallace mm. Um, but anyways, that, that whole genre is like one of my absolute favorites. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, I read the vaudeville plays of Anton Chekhov, which were really fun. I'd never read any Chekhov before. Um, but Mm. again, his name keeps coming up. I read Midnight's Children by Salman Rushdie, which, yeah, kind of a mega novel. Um, pretty, I found it pretty long and kind of slogging. In some parts, the premise is really cool. There's a lot of um, magical realism elements that really resonated with me. But overall, I don't know. <clears throat> I can't say I would reread it. I read yeah. it like tw- 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, did you? <laughs> I have no, no interest in rereading it. Yeah, yeah. That's probably fair. I read another really big novel, uh, The Mystery Dot Doc, which we talked about last episode by Matthew McIntosh, which is, uh, despite being a 1,600-page book, actually reads quite quickly more like a 300 page book or something um and that was a pretty cool exercise as well it's you know quite metafictional and it's about a writer who doesn't remember who he is so it kind of strikes me as being similar to uh jim gower's book in that way um i almost bought that book last week i was at the bookstore it's pretty pretty dauntingly huge huh? (laughs) uh, i was it wasn't even that so much as like i I, was it i I will buy it but yeah I ended up buying a biography of John Ashbery instead. Oh, yeah. And I was just more interested in that at the moment. Uh-huh. Cool. <laughs> um, I read a couple of books this year by people that I know personally, which is really cool. Like Shazia Fiz Ramji's poetry book, Port of mm-hmm. Being. Uh, we talked about that a few episodes ago. And um, a friend from Kelowna, Dania Tomlinson, who her and I did our master's at the same time. And we TA'd for the same prof in an, first year English course together and she for her MFA thesis wrote a novel and it got picked up and published and put out it's called Our Animal Hearts and it's set Mm -hmm. in that area in that region in the Okanagan in British Columbia um, sort of during World War One and uh, it's a really beautiful really impressive book for first novel it's really cool worth checking out Um, yeah 
I, you know, I had a similar experience where I read uh, a couple of books from people I know mm-hmm. or kind of know. Mm-hmm. And um, one of them I want to recommend is a memoir from my friend Melissa Stevenson, and it's called Driven. Mm-hmm. And I knew she had been working on this book for a while, and so I was really excited when it came out this summer. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, a, it's a memoir about her life as told through the various cars that she's driven. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, driven. And yeah. she's, she's very into the, um, like VW buses, like mini bus mm-hmm. and vans mm-hmm. and like the Westie Westphalia vans. Right. Um, but it's also the kind of central narrative of the stories about her brother's suicide. Wow. Uh, and so it's really like poignant moving memoir. And I just couldn't put it down. It's, one of those few books that like my wife and I both devoured in less than a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like, once we started reading it, we're just like, wow, I got to, I got to read this whole thing mm-hmm. like right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I recommend that book. Cool. And then the other one I wanted to mention was um, Brandon Hobson's book, where the dead sit talking. Mm-hmm. And this book was, uh, shortlisted for the national book award. So I'm hardly the first to like it. <laughs> um, but I've read Brandon's other books and uh, reviewed them uh, on my own website. Uh, and I really recommend his other books as well. But this book is kind of a dip departure for him in that he gets into writing about a person with Native American heritage, which he also has. And, uh, I, you know, I've known Brandon, like, forever through the Wallace List. Oh, cool. And, like, he's one of the first people who sent me a letter that he got from David Foster Wallace back and he's probably the first like fan I've known who sent Wallace a fan letter Hmm. like before Infinite Jest came out like he sent Wallace a fan letter like 1993 (laughs) like before all Wallace like it was crazy and um did he get, and then did Wallace he get wrote him a long letter mm. back. Yeah, he did. Mm. And um, he's since donated that letter to the Ransom Center. Oh, cool. So if you want to see the original, um, it looks like it was printed on like a dot matrix printer. It's, <laughs> it's, it's great. That sounds about right. Um, uh, but, but Brandon is a phenomenal writer, and uh, I, I highly recommend it. If you pick up Where the Dead Sit Talking, it's uh, you know the story of uh, a young boy who's placed into like foster care Mm -hmm. and kind of gets moved from place to place and it's kind of like you know on the fringes of society Mm -hmm. kind of a burnout and no one really cares about him and um it's it's extremely uh i would say literary take on kind of the grunge element of Mm -hmm. it reminded me of something like from the 90s -hmm. about like grunge kids cool um, a couple of other things I wanted to mention, uh, kind of going back to my events of the year, mm-hmm. is one of the highlights of my year is always the Texas Book Festival. Mm-hmm. And uh, this year I got to um, moderate a panel with uh, two writers who I really admire. Mm-hmm. Um, one is Willie Vlauten, mm-hmm. and the other was a writer named J.R. Helton. And... Willie, if you haven't read his books, uh, no. I would say you sh- you should. <laughs> he's he's also a singer songwriter, and he's in he was in a band for a long time called Richmond Fontaine, hmm. and he's in a band now called the D Lines, and uh, they are 
uh, incredible. The D Line's new album is just coming out this month called mm. The Imperial. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. But he has a book called Lean on Pete that I think is probably his best book. And it was made into a movie uh, this year or in 2018 starring uh, Steve Buscemi and Chloe Sevigny. Oh, cool. And so that the movie I thought was really great. It's done by A24. Um, but the book of Lean on Pete is, of course, even better. And uh, I hope someone out there has read the book and would like to talk about it because <laughs> it's uh, it's really powerful and like just unbelievable series of events happens to this poor kid in the book. Huh. But the book that that he was promoting at the book festival is his latest book called Don't Skip Out on Me. And I highly recommend that book as well. It's about kind of a um, a young kid who wants to be a boxer. Hmm. And he lives in rural Nevada. And it's it's just really sad. Like what, you know, how could he achieve his dream right. and, um, you know, be somebody, make something of himself. He doesn't want to just stay on the ranch. Hmm. Um and it's it's a really great story. I, I highly recommend uh, someone out there if you want to read kind of a more traditional, straightforward novel. Try don't, don't skip out on me. Mm. Cool. Um, I also went back and looked at my own Instagram pics to see like <laughs> what I had read this year. <laughs> yeah. And the first book that I read in 2018 was a nonfiction book called "The Man from the Train." by Bill James mm. uh, with his daughter, Rachel McCarthy James, mm. or Rachel James McCarthy, I don't know. Um, and this book is uh, it's incredible in that Bill James wanted to write this book after um, he had this idea to try to solve this famous axe murder case. Mm. In, I think it's in Villisica, Iowa, and it's a sort of totally random crime in the early 1900s. Like this whole family is just bludgeoned to death by an ax and there's no leads, no, no idea who did it. And he gets the idea of searching old newspaper archives and he ends up discovering like dozens of similar crimes around the same time that all sort of seem to be connected by a railway system. Uh, and so this is his theory is this man from the train would get off and just like murder people. Holy sh- um, it's, and it's sort of like, do you really want to read a book about people getting murdered over and over? I already um, read it. It's called but the 2666 <clears throat> by Roberto Bologna. <laughs> this is, this is maybe more graphic than that. Oh, this is like yeah. more, more graphic than that. Yeah. But really what it is, is like uh, for anyone who's ever done like newspaper archival research, mm-hmm. Um, that feeling of like finding connections is mm-hmm. uh, it's an amazing feeling and I think that Bill James and his daughter Rachel are some of the best at it uh, so they use just tons of first hand sources mm. from newspapers to kind of piece together these crimes wow. um, so I really enjoyed that book mm. um, I was going to say that kind of leads into like I wanted to do a list of my podcast recommendations uh-huh. because I listen to a lot of other podcasts. Yeah, let's go there. Sure. I got a few. Well, well then I realized like, well, most of my podcast recommendations are predictable and not very interesting <laughs> because they're all like, yeah, there's stuff you've probably heard of. Uh-huh. So, um, and a lot of them are 
you know, true crime is like one of the biggest genres of podcasts. So like Bear Brook, for example, that podcast came out late in 2018, Uh but I thought it was um, a pretty good example of how to tell a story from a cold case. Mm. Um, But I I don't have a long list of podcast recommendations because like I say, they're pretty standard uh pretty predictable I don't, I don't have a lot of hidden gins i listen to serial reply all i mean me reading stuff uh, of course that's usual favorites, there. Yeah. and you know i i can't talk a lot about this but like in the past six months my job has changed in my day job mm-hmm. to be mainly working on podcasts um, what a turn and hey. what a turn <laughs> and uh you know, and I don't want to like be totally like self-promotional on those because, you know, I'm not the talent on those. I'm not the the on-air voice mm-hmm. uh, and I'm really not selling anything like I'm not yeah. trying to convince anyone to go listen to them or buy them. But like podcasts have become more part of my life. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, and so I'm more I think in the market for getting podcast recommendations mm-hmm. and uh I do follow like the subreddit of podcasts oh, yeah. and it seems to be like the number one thing is people always just asking for recommendations. Mm-hmm. So I would say if you have podcast recommendations and you kind of know me from this show, send me some podcast recommendations. Mm. Yeah. I'd take some too. Uh, I came across a good one this year that, that started this year. It's only had, I think three episodes and it's been a while since they put something out, but it's called hard feelings. And it's done by Stephanie Drury and David Bazan from Pedro the Lion, the musician. Uh, they both they're longtime friends from Seattle, and Stephanie is married to David Drury, who's a writer. Uh, he's got a great short story that was in, I want to say, um, the best uh, non-required American reading, like two thousand nine or something like that. Um, He's got a short story called Things We Knew When the House Caught Fire. And uh, we went out for drinks in November when I was in Seattle, the three of us and a few other people as well. And uh, and they were awesome. And so this podcast, Hard Feelings, is about them basically sifting through their sort of emotional response to what it was like to grow up in like really conservative Christian upbringings and how they've navigated that in their adult years and... Um, where they're at with stuff now. So they just kind of talk about like religion and, and, and in a personal way. And it's, it's really compelling. Um, and it's just very, it's very conversational. So I know from Robin O'Neill's Twitter feed mm-hmm. that he has a new story in Ziziva. That's right. Yeah. Literary magazine that is illustrated by Robin O'Neill. That's correct. Yeah. They, they're, they're very uh, good friends and he won her first contest. The, um, what was it? Uh, Ch- Channing Tatum writes like erotic poetry, so people impersonated that, <laughs> and David won. <laughs> He's a brilliant writer, so it's very funny. He plays in a band called Tennis Pro as well, and he gave me the one of their CDs when we met up. Um, that's really cool. Yeah, so that's worth checking out. All right, I have a couple of other book book things before we move away from books sure. uh, completely like I say the podcast thing um, I've said enough about <laughs> I forgot to mention when I said I was on the panel with Willie Vlauten and J.R. Helton mm-hmm. um, J.R. Helton's books are also incredible mm-hmm. uh, he has a memoir called Drugs 
uh, about <laughs> doing a lot of drugs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he has a memoir called The Jugheads about his family. Hmm. And uh, those books are, the covers are uh, illustrated by R. Crumb, which are just incredibly, hmm. like, R. Crumb does not illustrate many books. Um, so go check out J.R. Helton. And his latest book is called Bad Jobs and Poor Decisions. Mm. And most of it is set in Austin in the 1980s. And uh, it's, you know, if you like uh, like a smarter version of like Bukowski in the <laughs> 80s in Austin, I would say it fits the bill. Okay. I like um, that description. The other, a couple of other things I haven't mentioned that I wanted to was uh, I read a ton of, Knausgaard this year. Oh yeah, uh, that's your usual MO. Came out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, book six came out, and then like, oh, I think all of those seasonal books came out, mm-hmm. like spring, oh, summer. Right. At least three of them came out in 2018, mm-hmm. and I thought they were those were pretty shitty, <laughs> except for spring. So if you've picked up like the autumn one and we're like turned off mm-hmm. I would say give it another shot with a book called spring nice. um, which is a little more typical of his style mm-hmm. uh, he also did a lecture at Yale which was published as a standalone little book mm-hmm. called inadvertent that is about um, his m- motivation for writing the way that he hmm. does and I thought that was really interesting right. it didn't get much attention mm. So if you like Knausgaard, pick up Inadvertent. Hmm. Cool. Um, and I don't have many um, films on my list, mm-hmm. like almost none. Uh, <laughs> but I do have one play, mm-hmm. and that is a, a play that was written by Evan Dara. Oh, yeah. And published online for free based on a donation um, and it's called The Provisional Biography of Mose Eakins. Huh. And you can Google that or Google Evan Dara's new play or something. It'll come up. And, uh, you know, if you like Evan Dara's writing style, which, again, is kind of this, like, series of polyphonic voices. And he's really good at, like, crafting these different kind of personalities that are displayed in only a few words. Uh-huh. I, I would say that the book play reminds me very much of those sections in uh, the lost scrapbook or in um, flea that are of you know you don't know anything else about the character except for what they say Mm. and um, that also didn't get as much attention as I would like Hmm. we have a uh, a listener who runs the Evandera affinity twitter account and uh, Matt Luter recently read one of Evandara's books, I think The Lost Scrapbook, and was very positive about it. So that's on my list of things to check out in the future as well. Well, uh, you should absolutely read The Lost Scrapbook. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the Evandara Affinity is one of our patrons now, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, we'll mention that again at the end. <laughs> Did you read Fox 8 by George Saunders this year? His little sort of children's you know, t- fable that just came out recently i didn't i picked it up and it's a beautiful little book. yeah it's really um, really sweet i liked it but uh, i just didn't want to pay 17 dollars for like a short story for like 60 so. pages yeah that's fair yeah, but but <laughs> i will i will i mean it looks cool but yeah. i um i really 
I have a love-hate relationship with books that are like written from the point of view of a dog. <laughs> it's a um, it's a fox, so you're in luck. I hear what you're saying. Or do you mean just like, the whole like canine genus? Then you, the... from an animal, from an animal, let's <laughs> okay. say. But the most common one is a dog, and like mm. probably the one that really ruined it for me was Dave Eggers, mm. and he, he had a story that I don't think has been printed in many places, but it's from the point of view of a dog, and it's just absolutely terrible. Uh. Uh, hmm. There was actually a Canadian writer though who did a pretty good one. Oh, yeah. A guy named Leon Rook. Have you ever heard of this guy? Uh, I don't think so. I I picked up several hmm. of his books because he was somehow compared to Wallace, hmm. uh, even th- even though I think he's completely different. Hmm. And he has a book called Shakespeare's Dog, hmm. which is uh, like a Shakespearean novel from the point of view of Shakespeare's dog. Okay, and that's ac- that's actually pretty good. That sounds cool. Um, I've just recently read a children's book that alternates from the point of view of a dog and a guinea pig <laughs> uh, that I think is very well done. It's called Wedgie and Gizmo. Mm-hmm. Um, I like this so tangent, by the way. I recommend the Wedgie and Gizmo <laughs> book. But the the Fox 8, man, if you've read it, like, just please, I, I'll have to t- get back to you on where it fits into the, <laughs> the scale of, sure. like, Dave Eggers being on one end, yeah. Leon Rook being, yeah. and kind of Wedgie and Gizmo being in the middle. I mean, Wedgie and Gizmo may be even better. But <laughs> have you uh, have you read Ron Curry, Curry Jr. before? He's got a short story collection called God is Dead that I think I is phenomenal. It. And it's a collection of short stories that share the same conceptual theme, which is the death of God. And in one of them, there's these feral dogs, like desert dogs, who eat uh, this woman who is the embodiment of God and they gain all of these powers like these like the ability to talk and and things like that and so these these dogs who ate God like sort of uh, recur throughout the short story collection it's really good so I would say that's my favorite um, dog narrated piece hmm. God is dead um, okay. I actually read a Dave Eggers book last week that I got for Christmas called your father's where are they and the prophets do they live forever have you read that one that's a tough sell man it's a tough sell <laughs> it's actually pretty you good know. I read it in like three or four days it was really fast uh, this guy in the opening kidnaps an astronaut and he's like interviewing him he knew him in, in like grad school and he's you know trying to figure out uh, like why this man's dreams were were crushed so thoroughly by the closing of the NASA space program, and then he just keeps kidnapping all of these other people, and it it um, yeah I thought it was all right. I, I don't know, it. man. I, the last one of his that I read was uh, the Heroes of the Frontier. Okay, or whatever. Yeah, I didn't read that. And I thought that the concept of the book description was sounded great. Hmm. And then I started reading it. I was like, oh, this is okay. This is okay. And then about halfway through, I was just like, man, I just don't give a shit about any of these people. And <laughs> I put the book down and I was like, you know, and I liked some of his other books. I actually liked Hologram for the King. Mm-hmm. I liked The Monk of Mocha. I thought that was good. Mm-hmm. Um, but Heroes of the Frontier, he's got some real dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I would say once he started getting into writing um, all those kind of like biographical books you know like zaitun and uh what is the what and stuff like i monk of monk of mocha fits in okay yeah Yeah, like i haven't read any of those titles we have all of them rachel's read some of them but for whatever reason like the concepts just don't really like grab me from the outset so 
I don't know. Maybe I'll go back to them yeah, someday. He, he kind of screwed up with the Zytoon too. And like that guy was like, you know, he put him to be like this hero. And then the guy was later convicted of like beating his wife. Oh, no, really? <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, it was that's like, a shame. It was like, be, be careful who you do a biography right, of. Right, you know? yeah, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Um, okay, so you saw no movies that you liked this year. That's, well, I, uh, <laughs> you know, the last day of the year, I did see the movie Roma. Okay, yeah, I watched that too. On, on Netflix, and I thought that that was really good. Um, and it fits into something I was going to mention later, but in the spirit of non-linearity, uh-huh. I'll say it now, which is that I'm not a fan of movies or books that use, like, a child's graphic death as an opportunity to try to pull at your heartstrings. Uh-huh. yeah. And I think I'm more sensitive to this now after, you know, having, having kids. Children. Oh man, me too. And, totally. and I was like, you know, it just seems like uh, artists or writers, like, you know, what would be really sad. <laughs> what if the, what if the kid died? Yeah. It's like, yeah, okay. I get it. That would be sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's achieving anything more in a narrative by, especially the more graphic stuff. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I felt the same way about, um, Terrence Malick's Tree of Life, mm-hmm. which we can mention later. Yeah, true. Which is like kind of revolves around a, a bit of child's death. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, this, I mean, he's trying to do more with it, but it's like, it's meant to be like, oh, isn't this emotional? Mm-hmm. A child's death. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. I saw that in the theater when it came out, which I don't know, was that like eight, 10 years ago, something like that? Yeah. Um, thinking back on it now, after having had a child, like, if I saw it now, I would probably just weep, you know? Well, I mean, there's a lot going on in Roma. I mean, yeah. Roma was just yeah. part one little part of it. And mm-hmm. I don't mean to derail the whole yeah. film with this because I thought it was beautifully shot, mm-hmm. and I really thought the acting was amazing. The story, <laughs> uh, you know, such as it was, was was handled very well. The scene of the guy um, uh, doing his like kung fu stuff in the bedroom was yeah. so funny. <laughs> totally, was, he's totally naked, but he's doing like <laughs> yeah, his martial, <laughs> his martial arts, arts stuff. Yeah, hilarious. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that was great. Yeah, I was watching that with my in laws, so that was a fun, fun few minutes. I, <laughs> I, I watched it the same, I know, maybe the day before, the day after. I finally got around to watching a Moonlight. Oh yeah, which I think won Best Picture. It did. It did. Twenty seventeen. Yeah, La La Land was announced as the winner, um, and then there was that mix up stuff, and then Moonlight actually won. Yep. Yeah, that was. Uh, I yeah. love Moonlight. I thought it was brilliant. So. It was, yeah, it was an interesting contrast with Roma, mm. um, but I I might have liked Moonlight better. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, but it feels kind of weird to be talking about that on 2018 because it's not a 2018 movie. Right. Yeah. I I don't as you know I just don't watch that many movies <laughs> so that's that's like all I have to contribute to the yeah. To the okay. Conversation. Well, I can I can talk about a few films quickly that I like this year. Most surprisingly, the film that I like most this year that I was not expecting to like at all when I went to it was Mandy. This is the new Nicolas Cage um, like slasher horror film that came out this year. Did you ever see previews for this? I think I missed go, it. Just go watch a trailer after we get off this uh, recording. It, it, it is really bonkers. And I typically don't like horror movies. I don't really watch horror movies. They don't interest me. Uh, but some friends of mine wanted to go see it and I was like, well, the trailer's pretty nuts. So yeah, I'll check it out. And it, it, it was awesome. Like I had such hmm. a great experience watching it. 
it's really dark and creepy and the, the soundtrack is just like so oppressive um it's it's a movie because it's Nicolas Cage you're like is this supposed to be good or is this supposed to be really campy and bad I can't tell but I feel both of those things about it at the same time and there are some scenes that are like I don't know if I'm supposed to laugh right now or also start weeping um so I thought it was I thought it was pretty brilliant um so that's Mandy um Phantom Thread by Paul Thomas Anderson was, I thought, a really good oh, film. Oh, God, this year. I, I wanted to see that. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I really wanted to see that. Actually, a, a friend of mine who um, grew up in Kelowna and went to the same high school and was really good friends with my sister, um, that's a girl named Ingrid, Ingrid Scram, she was in it. She had like a very small role where she was one of the models that um, the main character was, was using in like a, a runway type thing. So it was like very surreal to see her on screen and her, her character's name is actually Ingrid as well. So they didn't even bother changing her name, which was cool. And I messaged her about it after I was like, I just saw Phantom Thread. That was awesome. So she said it was, it was quite awesome to uh, go to England and film that with Paul Thomas Anderson. Wow. Yeah. So that was cool. She has a lot of like modeling and she's in commercials and stuff. So that was cool. Um, I saw the disaster artist this year. Have you ever seen the room? Uh, like notoriously I, worst a, film of all time. Yeah, yeah, I'm aware of all of the yeah. the room and the the disaster artist mm-hmm. thing, but I have not seen either yeah. one, so I can't really speak to <laughs> it. Yeah, so I watched the room in preparation f- because I knew I was going to go see the disaster artist with some friends. So I watched them both in the same like two or three days, and um, <laughs> I I thought disaster artist was like really funny and pretty well done. It was great. Uh, I Tanya is a movie that I like this year. About oh, I Harding. saw. I did see that. Did that come out this year? Yeah, I think so. Well, last year I, I, I saw it this year, that. so I'll put it on my list. <laughs> I, I did see that. Yeah, I thought it was good. Um, the Shape of Water, one bat. Oh, one best picture last year. I think in 2017, right. I saw that. I quite liked it. Lady Bird was good. I saw Call Me by Your Name, which was excellent. The Florida Project. Uh, we just saw The Favorite in theaters this week. Just so wait, wait. I did see the Florida Project, and I actually kind of hated that. Oh, movie. did you? Oh, interesting. Um, the Willow Willem Dafoe. Movie, yeah, yeah, I was not impressed with oh, that okay. movie at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought it was not um, maybe marketed correctly, mm-hmm. but I also thought it it had very little like redeeming value, and uh, was quite boring in certain places mm-hmm. where it should like tried to be interesting mm. um what was the other one you said before that i had seen one other one was it oh Lady Bird, Bird. Yeah. yeah i liked that mm. yeah i like that and actually would that's one of those movies i would like rewatch. yeah i think there's some like, charming great great lines in there yeah it kind of it has like kind of a wes andersonian feel a little bit in some of the dialogue um that's greta gerwig i think directed that she does yeah. she does good stuff um <laughs> did you see the film sorry to bother you do you know? No. Do you even know about this movie? It's about a telemarketer, uh, African American telemarketer, who uh, discovers that if he uses a white voice, his white voice, he's told by another guy, uh, he sells way more stuff, and his white voice is the voice of David Cross. <laughs> 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 so it's like it's really bonkers and wacky, and the first like four fifths is fantastic, and then the last like fifth, it takes a super weird turn that is. 
I found really off-putting. Like it's it's entertaining, but it's like so bizarre that you just can't like I couldn't really handle it or like take it very seriously after that. So I would say is like one of my more favorite films of the year, but then not the last, not the ending really. Um, yeah, hmm. kind of weird. Uh, that mention of David Cross though, there's a great um, children's movie that just came out in 2018 called Next Gen. Mm. Have you heard of this? Next Gen. Next Gen, and it's no, I don't think so. yeah, and it's like a Pixar style movie, but I, I didn't hear anyone talking about this mm. in my world mm. except for my kids. Yeah, um, but it's like robot world and like David Cross plays the voice of all of the robots. Oh really? <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's phenomenal. Like there's other characters in it. Like it's all big name actors, but like mm. just something about seeing like a robot that's like trying to sound friendly by, but like talking like David Cross <laughs> is David Cross. Awesome. It's really uncanny. Huh, huh. I highly recommend that. That movie's really well done. Hmm. Next gen. Cool. I like the sound of that. That's cool. Um, there's a lot of films that I didn't get to see yet that I really would like to, that I keep seeing recurring on a lot of year end lists, like, um, first reformed hereditary, which is like another horror film. Uh, if Beale street could talk Suspiria mid nineties, a few others, but, um, maybe they will be on the next, uh, year end podcast. Um, I guess television is a good next transition, Matt. Any shows that you like this year other than, um, I love Dick. I can't think of a thing. <laughs> Didn't you say that you uh, you got a TV for Christmas and you just have been binging Netflix I the did. last week and a half? I did, and I would say, I guess <laughs> I could say Anthony Bourdain's show. I love going back and watching all of his episodes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know his his last episodes uh, from the CNN show Parts Unknown came out this year. Hmm. Um, but that's kind of like. It's almost like comfort food for mm-hmm. me, like that documentary mm-hmm. style stuff. I mean, it's really yeah. um, enlightening in certain places and you can learn stuff from it, but it's like barely TV show. It's like a documentary series. really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, did you watch Wild Wild Country, the uh, documentary on Netflix? Never heard of it. It's about the um, Rajneeshis is the name of the the following here. Um, it's about a cult in the 19, I think seventies or eighties that like took over a small town in Oregon. Um, this like Indian guru figure. And it's just like this, I think six or eight part documentary by the, um, the Duplass brothers. No, my coworker, I think my coworkers were talking about this the other day and it does sound familiar. And I've seen, um, other similar documentaries like yeah. uh, about like Indian guru who's like forms this cult mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they like take over the whole, like almost like a village. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wasco County, Oregon. Um, and all of, all of his followers wear this like burgundy red color and it's kind of like a free love free sex kind of cult, but it was, it was pretty fascinating. Um, it gets really dark. Like some of the political, intrigue that starts happening that this cult starts doing to this small town in Oregon is like really quite unbelievable. You know, there was a similar documentary about like a group of white supremacists trying to take over a small town. Hmm. Did you ever see that? I don't think so. And they like bought these houses and like moved in and started taking over and putting up like Nazi flags and stuff. And it was like very hard to get rid of them. Hmm. Yeah. 
that's a similar very similar sounding yeah. premise there yeah hmm. um the americans is a show that i continued to enjoy this year and it, and it finished um the season or the series finale happened that's a show about uh soviet spies in the 1980s living in washington dc a married couple and they pose as americans um that was a great show good ending satisfying um the show atlanta season two was awesome this year i really like that show i think it's one of the best things on tv right now and uh i got into a show that's on amazon prime called the marvelous mrs Maisel. it's about a i saw that yeah i saw that but it was like can they really sustain that show for multiple episodes i don't know well season two is uh has come out and we've watched all of it and so (laughs) yeah they they keep it going it's good um wow yeah, it's about a woman in the 1950s whose husband wants to be a stand-up comic. So she's very supportive of him. And it turns out he's kind of a hack and he's just like steals all his material. And then she kind of falls into becoming a stand-up comedian and makes like tries to make a go of it. It's sort of the premise of the show in the first couple episodes. Um, but it's really smart and funny. I think it's the same writers who did Gilmore Girls, which would kind of be off-putting to me. Um, so it has that kind of like sharp, witty... Uh, like Oscar Wilde type dialogue almost, but it's certainly much more toned down and believable than Gilmore Girls. Um, so that was a show that I that I liked. Uh, the Handmaid's Did Tale. Did you watch any uh, the Kominsky Method? No, I Kominsky? have not watched that yet. But I like I scroll past yeah. it on um, on Netflix, so I've seen it around, but I haven't watched it. I've watched a few of them, and I feel like uh, it's maybe funnier the older you get. <laughs> yeah. Um, like it's really good it's Hmm. really good what's the premise of that again it's 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 mainly uh michael douglas and uh, alan arkin are friends and they're like grumpy old men it's kind of like grumpy old men (laughs) oh okay it's like he's like teaching acting method Mm -hmm. um and and it's just like you know best friends and how they fight and how they (laughs) How they kind of like talk and get along, and it's just like it's a very much dialogue-driven show. But mm-hmm. Hmm. I, I haven't I haven't watched the whole, all of them out there, so I, sh- I should probably just like we should edit this out later. <laughs> sure. Well, you have the the endorsement for the at least episodes like one to three from the Great yeah. Cavity. Okay, good, cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the Good Place is a show that I continued to enjoy this year. That's uh, Michael Schur produces that, who we've talked about a lot. Um, yeah. the premise is quite hilarious and, uh, the show has only gotten better. Like the season one is good. Uh, and then ever since that, it's just gotten much more intriguing and smart and funny. Uh, and then the man in the high castle is a show that's been pretty good this year. Watched two seasons of that and I'm really enjoying that. That's based on the, um, Philip K. Dick novel. Yeah, uh, yeah, the premise of which is that the Axis powers win World War II and occupy the United States. Japan occupies the western part of the continent, and Nazi Germany the east. And uh, it's it's got some cool time travely type stuff going on, and the performances are generally pretty good. Um, there's a storyline that that I think is the most compelling is of this like. Um, one of the the highest, I guess, the highest ranking Nazi official, who's kind of like over overseas New York, and his son has like a d- degenerative disease that comes out, and that storyline in that show is is really wild. 
wildly interesting and compelling. You start to have like a lot of sympathy for this Nazi character, which is like an odd tension to try and navigate as a viewer. Um, but it's good. So those are my top top shows this year, I think. Uh, anything else to hit there? Nope. All right. <laughs> nope. Uh, what about music? Did you like any any songs this year, Matt? Any albums? Don't... Well, when we were compiling our <laughs> end of the year list, uh, I could think of maybe one or two. Mm-hmm. So, um... so as part of uh, as part of this episode, we are going to give you a, a bonus playlist, which I'll which I've done through both iTunes and uh, what's that other thing called that people Spotify. use? Oh yeah, Spotify. Right. Also there in case you're on that, uh, the Spotify track, uh, which is a collection of my favorite songs of the year. And Matt has contributed a couple as well, uh, one of which was a Florence and the Machine song. And we're actually going to offer a contest this episode, which is if you can guess which other song Matt specifically contributed to our best of 2018 music. Um, and you can comment, you can comment that on our, you know, whatever, whatever our initial post for this episode is on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. Uh, if you can guess the song that you think Matt shows that isn't, uh, isn't the Florence and the Sheen song, uh, we're going to send you something fun in the mail. So, uh, so there's a little, a fun little side contest for this episode. Um, so I guess, well, I guess that means that I shouldn't give too much away here, doesn't it? About my favorite music. You, you can't go in too much depth. Okay. Why don't you just give us your like maybe top two? Okay. Uh, my favorite album this year was Parquet Courts, uh, okay. Wide Awake album, and uh, we talked recently about. Uh, I saw them in Vancouver with some other Wallace folks in September, and uh, we had tacos with uh, Andrew Savage before the show, and that was a lot of fun. Um, my best friend Nathan Shep came along, and. Uh, when we were we went back to the venue and we were sort of saying bye and stuff and you know have a good show and all that my friend nathan goes hey andrew don't fuck this up <laughs> and it's a pretty like you know bold comedic choice uh nathan had like just met this guy an hour before and a- andrew laughed he had, he thought it was funny so that was a good that was a good moment that's funny <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, um, that album's really good. It's got some really solid rock songs on it that are just like, just, yeah, you just want to, you know, fist pump. And then some also just kind of like, it's it's really diverse. It's really, um, it's got a lot of different sort of music st- musical styles on it. Um, some of my favorite songs of the year are on there. So check out Parquet Courts, Wide Awake. Uh, Jeff Tweedy came out with an album this year. He is the lead singer of Wilco. And I got a chance to see him in September as well in Victoria. And uh, it's a great album. I would say like it's up there with some of some of the better Wilco albums. Uh, Dude, did you see this interview with him uh, where he like talked about books and said he's a Markson fan too? Oh, really? That's not surprising, but I don't think I saw this. No, uh, it was incredible. Like you, you very rarely hear like musicians talk about David Markson. So mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I was. <laughs> I was blown away by that. Mm-hmm. Um, he came out with I, an I really autobiography like, this year, Jeff Tweedy. Yeah. And I haven't read it, but I've heard it's really good. Yeah, I really like Jeff Tweedy and Wilco, so yeah. I, I should I should try to listen to that more when I yeah. I think of it. Yeah. He was pretty hilarious at the show. Um so it was just him solo. He did a lot of Wilco songs. And people like really early, like after the first song started calling out requests. And he had this really funny kind of like almost stand up comedian. Uh, sort of approach to it where he was like all right I've done a few of these shows before 
Um, why don't I just, you guys just let me play for a while. Like I'll play for 45 minutes or an hour. And if by that point you still haven't heard the song that you were wanting to hear, you know, then you can start shouting out between the songs. <laughs> you know, you just, just trust the old pro here. Uh, he had the room like roaring. It's really funny. So that was good. Uh, and then, yeah. Okay. So the rest of my top albums of the year, we'll just leave. Uh, I've got, I've got one song from each of my favorite albums of the year on the playlist. You can follow up with, uh, with those albums and those bands. If you like what you hear, um, in addition to seeing, uh, Jeff Tweedy this year and Parker courts, I saw big thief in Vancouver who incidentally last year had my favorite album. And I think the year before that had my, uh, favorite or second favorite album of the year. So we've talked about them before. Uh, I saw Daniel Romano in Victoria, I think in January this year. That was a great show. He's the guy, Matt, do you remember our, our very first episode of this that we did, your interview? He's the the guy with the cowboy album cover that's really hilarious. Vaguely. 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 Um, Sorry. So he's like a guy, you know, like in his you know early 30s or late 20s. He plays in like rock bands and he just all of a sudden made up this sort of alter ego where he did like really old style like Hank Williams country and some of his album covers are quite hilarious based on that but it's like fairly disingenuous to who he actually is but the songwriting is amazing like you know if you're into like old country um (laughs) so yeah and then uh I saw uh my favorite metal band of all time Converge I got to see this year for the first time and they had a very like Wallacean moment where the singer Jacob Bannon started talking about empathy between songs and his battle with depression and how empathy is the thing that we most need desperately in our world and it was like almost like something out of this is water it was very striking um so yeah i had a, I had a pretty good year of uh seeing some good bands and overall i thought it was, it was a decent year for music i think still like the early to mid 2000s are some of the best years maybe my favorite decade of music so far but uh there's there there was some good stuff this year that I liked a lot. Yeah, I, I don't even know how to judge a year of books. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't either. Like, books are so. Yeah, I don't know. They come out with such irregularity. I guess you know one author typically will write a book every what I don't know few years or so, depending on the author, I guess. But yeah, it's hard to classify years that way. Hmm. Uh, did you play any video games this year, Matt? On your Nintendo I mean, Switch? No. With your boys? No. no. Did you guys finish Zelda no. yet? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> my kids my kids play video games. Uh-huh. I Occasionally, like I say, we'll play Mario Kart with them. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Um, no, I mean, it looks I, like if I did play video games, I would have bought Red Dead Redemption 2. Mm-hmm. But then yeah. I would have not read half of these books that I just mentioned. <laughs> yeah, totally. I... um. Most of my friends who play video games have that game and play it actively. I still haven't got it. I will get it eventually. Um, but I just have a lot of games that I am kind of like halfway through finishing. And I just need to kind of go back and complete all of them before I just keep buying a whole bunch of new games. So I uh, haven't got to that one yet. But I want to talk about one game that I thought was phenomenal that I played a lot this year, which was called Cuphead. And Cuphead. Cuphead. This is a like side-scroller platformer game, kind of like Contra. If you remember Contra from the, the old Nintendo days, 
up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. DA select state, um, you know. Uh, actually, <laughs> that reminds me of a book. Cheston Knapp has a book called Up, Up, Down, Down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I may have uh, seen that around. And I did read that this summer, and there's a whole Wallace essay in that. But mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Shit, I forgot to talk about that. So. <laughs> well, anyway, well, you just go did. on with your game, Cuphead. Um, yeah. So Steamboat Willie, remember that cartoon, the, like the first Mickey I, Mouse cartoon? Yes, it's, I know it. It's mm-hmm. that animation style, but like mm-hmm. a really intense, insanely hard platformer shooter game. Uh, and the main characters are these cute little like mugs, like cups, basically. Uh, but you're, you've like lost, you've lost this gambling debt to the devil and you have to go through and like capture, you know, defeat all these bosses of these souls that he's also collected and then fight the devil at the end. It's awesome. It's like one of the, one of the most fun games I've ever played. Um, a couple other good games that I enjoyed this year were Celeste, which is on Nintendo Switch and a bunch of other platforms, Into the Breach, which is from the guys who did FTL, Faster Than Light, which is a spaceship game that I played like probably hundreds of hours of in 2014 and 15. Um, and uh, so yeah, Nintendo Switch continues to be putting out some hits. Hmm. I still haven't finished Zelda yet, but I'm like on the last castle, so I'm going to try and wrap hmm. that up soon. <laughs> and um, yeah. Uh, now, I know my my 11-year-old son has probably spent $300 this year on Fortnite emotes <laughs> and costumes and skins. And oh, that's shit. amazing. I've played a little I played a little bit of that game with some friends. And then the new Call of Duty game came out with the exact same like battle royale format. There's a hundred people. They drop you into the map, and it's like the Hunger Games, basically. Last person survives. Um, so I'm familiar with Fortnite. I'm not very good at it. I don't understand how people get good at that game because you have to not only shoot people and collect resources, but you also like build towers and stuff while you're fighting people, and it's so immensely complicated to be able to do that i just couldn't wrap my head around it so that's my Fortnite experience but i hear it's like a really a really big hit with the kids like if you're a teacher and you can talk about Fortnite with your students like you win yep (laughs) it's incredible Uh and and like i kind of get it because it's like the way that they hang out now is a lot of it is like on Fortnite, mm-hmm. like they're just like hanging out and talking about other stuff like mm-hmm. they don't actually care about winning mm-hmm. i think it's like they just care about like being in the game and showing off and that's why they spend money on these like <laughs> dance moves and costumes it's all memes stuff. right like kids are so into memes right now it's, yep. it's like the big it's the thing to do and Pretty a much. lot of that stuff you know happens in Fortnite. i think yeah anyways um Board games, Netrunner, of course, was is the best game of my life. It's over now, officially. Uh, there's a fan effort to keep it going. Uh, I'm doing some playtesting with them, which is cool to be a part of. But uh, usually I would have no other games to talk about because Netrunner is the best. Um, but because it ended, I kind of had to, you know, like look elsewhere. And there's a game called Arkham Horror, the card game, that is also made by Fantasy Flight Games, which makes Netrunner. And it's a game that I was forced into by my friends in New Zealand who play Netrunner. And they're like, okay, as soon as you get here, after we meet you, and if you're, you know, if you're a cool guy, we'll start bringing you into this other game that we play. So I reluctantly did that and ended up liking it quite a bit. And 
got home to Canada and now I own pretty much everything ever made for it. And, and so my wife makes fun of me a lot for just, if I find something that I like, I will just like wholeheartedly put everything that I am into it. Uh, and a funny, funny story that happened to me yesterday about that is we were out for lunch and our server was this person I recognized from my hometown, Kelowna, who our moms were friends back in the day. And he and his brothers came to this skateboard camp that I taught in like 2001 because I had a job teaching skateboard camps for the city, which was one of the best jobs I ever had. And I was like, are you? And then I said his name. He's like, I was like, I'm Dave Laird. I taught you skateboarding. He's like, oh my gosh. We t- me and my friends still talk about you in that camp. You're like obsessed with David Foster Wallace, right? And I was like, wow. Uh, yeah, I guess you could say that. And uh, how he knows that, I have no idea because I haven't seen him since like 2001. And I didn't you should give him a shout out here. He's probably listening. Right and I now. didn't even read him. I didn't even know about David Foster Wallace until like, I don't know, much later than than that job. So. Um, so, yeah, Bo. Shout out to you, man. Great service at, at the Sherwood. Uh, excellent food. <laughs> Great to see you again. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's my, uh, that's my board game recommendation if you're into, uh, if into cards. It's, it's uh, a cooperative game, so you play with other people against the game, which I usually hate, but this game is phenomenal. So it's based on, like, H.P. Lovecraft horror and mythos. It's real good. Um, yeah, so we've talked about books, we've talked about film, TV, podcasts, video games. Anything else that was good this year, Matt? That you, that we missed? No, I think that's my yeah, um, that covers most of my main cool overview there. Right on. Cool. Um, so I guess we can sort of do the things that we do at the end of the podcast, and uh, before we, I guess before we do, we put out to our patrons. Uh, if you have any kind of questions for us that you want us to try and answer in our year, year in review episode, send them in. So we got some of those back. So do you want to, let's try and tackle a few of those here. Um, <laughs> we'll do our best. Ben Zimmerman asked in infinite jest, why spiders? I, why spiders? Why spiders? I, okay. I guess maybe they're phobic. Uh, Buckle up. Relation. Here we go. <laughs> phobic. Uh, place in infinite jest you know the Orin having the fantods over them and um asphyxiating them I, with glasses. here's here's a theory that i have hmm. here's my theory dave uh wallace grew up mostly in urbana illinois mm-hmm. and then when he moved to tucson they have some humongous spiders mm-hmm. in arizona mm-hmm. and i think he was always afraid of bugs and was fascinated by spiders mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, the, it does come up a lot in infinite justice fear of spiders. Mm-hmm. I think that all three generations of the incandenzas mm-hmm. fear them. Yeah. Uh, and it could also be, uh, you know, something that just Hal inherits is this, uh, or Warren inherits this fear of spiders, mm-hmm. but also the, the female spider, the black widow, I think there could be a connection there with. Avril, like maybe yeah. uh, mm-hmm. James Incandence and naming his production company Latro- Latrodectus Mactans mm-hmm. could be uh, kind of a dig at his wife. At, <laughs> yeah, at his wife. 
That's good. Um, That's a good theory. Also, what year did arachnophobia come out? Like, was it mid nineties, early nineties? That's gotta be like late eighties. It's like eighty nine, yeah. I bet. Hmm. Uh, but I, I don't know if that Nin- has anything to do with it so much. I was close. Yeah, I was close. So maybe he was influenced by that film. I don't know. I don't have any evidence I, to support that. <laughs> I, I just think it's kind of. I mean, I can't really relate. I've never really had like a fear of insects. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, they're unsettling. But yeah, I'm not. I don't have nightmares about them. I don't. But like. <laughs> Just, I think it's just like a, a, a metaphor for some like fear made present, mm-hmm. um, some other world silent. You know, yeah, like, yeah. It can be fer- ferocious, like a venomous mm-hmm. widow spider. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I got nothing else on spiders. Okay. Yeah. Ben also asked, is there any chance of getting any new primary Wallace books anytime soon? Like, example, letters with DeLillo, unpublished stories, etc. Um, uh, I would say no. I say the chances that is about zero. Yeah. Um, there are, you know, the 2018 we did see. I forgot to mention this. We did see two new, um, previously unpublished interviews with Wallace. That's right. Yeah. And that and that was pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, one we published on our DFW Society blog. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one we can link to. But you know, he does have some early stories that have never really been read. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not that great. Uh, I don't know if it's going to like help his reputation to like, here's some stories he wrote when he was like 19. Right. Yeah. You know, totally. Um, you know, there's a story called like the piano and the Pantechnicon, mm-hmm. which I think was published in a literary magazine. Um, hmm. Like order, order and flux in Northampton. I don't think that's ever been published in a book. Hmm. Um, Planet Trifon. Like, yeah, Trifon was republished Trifon. in a couple of places. Mm-hmm. Um not in a Wallace book per se. I don't, mm-hmm. again, I just don't know how much it would help. Mm-hmm. Um, letters, you know, Stephen Byrne has been working on a book of letters. Yeah. I was going to say he presented some of that at the 2015 conference. Uh, I don't know if he'll, he'll ever get permission from the estate to publish it. Yeah. That was like going, going on four years ago now. So yeah. Yeah. Who knows if we'll ever see that hit the light of day, but a book of letters would be really really amazing to have in our hands i would love to see something like that yeah but the likelihood yeah so unfortunately i think the answer is probably no Mm -hmm. not anytime soon yeah yeah um all right brian jeffrey cooper asks uh he says that lynch david lynch is often brought up around wallace a lot he's wondering if there are any strong links in scholarship or other opinions connecting wallace to the films of terrence malick in particular the tree of life um, well, we mentioned Terrence Malick earlier in the show, and that, that was part of the reason why. Right. Um, I'm not a Terrence Malick scholar or film scholar or mm-hmm. completist. I have not <laughs> seen all of his films. No, me neither. I, I think I would tell Brian to um, maybe talk to David Herring and Mike Miley. I mm-hmm. know that they've both written about Lynch and Malick, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're more of like the experts that we could <laughs> point you to, yeah. I think, unless you have something to say on that. Well, I was texting Mike when we right sort of when we were first starting to record tonight, and he thinks that in that book, All Things Shining by Dorrance Kelly, the really terrible book that like accuses Wallace of being oh, a, yeah. a nihilist, <laughs> um, that they might talk about it in that. Not that that's a good source to check out. 
Um, but he thinks that Allard and Dalk might be a good person to talk to, as well as uh, Vernon Sisney, who are oh, yeah. followers, you know, friends on Twitter and stuff. So, um, Brian, maybe try following up with those guys. Um, other than that, I can't think of anything specifically. Uh, Mark Reapy asks, what did you read or watch in 2018? You know, like a book or an essay, a short story, piece of journalism, show, movie that had the greatest David Foster Wallace sensibility? Great question, Mark. Mm. Uh, this is a funny answer for me, but I think I might say Queer Eye for this. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we watched that show this year. Uh, and the sense of um, human empathy and just sort of affirming like the cosmic human experience and condition really struck me in that show as, as being like kind of Wallacean. Um, maybe kind of an unexpected answer or an unexpected place to find that. But um, I think it's, it's sappier and more sentimental there in that show than it would be in something done by Wallace per se. But I think some of the same treatment of humanity is there. Hmm. Yeah. I think you could say the same thing. I mean, for me, I would say a similar thing about the Anthony Bourdain shows yeah, yeah. and that, you know, he is a, a kind of empathetic, curious traveler. Mm. And, you you know, just like with Wallace's nonfiction, where mm-hmm. you see the world through this kind of roving eye that's just like looking around at, uh, you know, a cruise ship or a state fair. Uh, Anthony Bourdain does that without being judgmental. Mm-hmm. I mean, he go he goes into a place, and sometimes he's judgmental, but most of the time he wants to meet people, um, and really kind of show that you know we're all more similar than we are different. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, but in terms of fiction, I think that's probably that Jim Gower or Sergio de la Pava. I think there's a lot of similarities in both of those books. Mm-hmm. To, to Wallace's fictional sensibilities, yeah. such as they were. Hmm. Um, cool. So, I, I mean, that's kind of a, a cop-out because I already talked about those two books. But it also this has also made me think of, like, what is Wallace's sensibility? I don't yeah, know. that's to too. more about mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I like that question. Um, Andrea, Lauren Sell Sheridan, who's been a guest on the show before, she asks, who would be your dream guest for an episode? Living, of course. <laughs> I think you go first. That's the tough one. I think I've said before that like Don DeLillo would be number, number one. Um, George Saunders would be pretty high up there for me. And I don't know if we should say this and maybe I can edit this out, but we were pretty close to getting George Saunders to be a guest and him and his people agreed that he'd come on. And then I think he just got busy and stuff and it fell by the wayside. But I message him every once in a while and just kind of, you know, congratulate him for something like when he won the Man Booker Prize for Lincoln and the Bardo and just, you know, let him know that, that we still exist. And we'd still love to talk to him sometime. So, you know, may, may, maybe down the road, maybe George will come yeah. on. We'll see. I don't know. For me, <laughs> I, you know, now that I think about this, uh, it might be my answer might be Sally Foster Wallace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she would be uh, amazing to get. And that she... Uh, you know, if you've never heard her speak, she sounds a lot like her son and like the way that she talks. Mm. And I think a lot of her um, kind of verbal tics and like mm. even, even the way that she thinks and speaks, I think that, um, you know, she passed that along to her children. Mm. And so I think she would be um, an amazing person to to interview. No kidding. Um, 
But uh, that's, a, that's a good question. We'll continue to, to, <laughs> that. to ruminate. Yeah. Um, finally, Kevin Twitchell asks, Matt, did you ever finish Bottom's Dream? Oh, God, no. <laughs> that thing is like, it's like Mount Everest, man. That thing is so massive. Yeah. And he says, uh, I if should, so, thoughts. I put, it up, I put it up for a while. So I read like probably 20 pages at a time. I'd read like a page here, page there, and then like really buckle down and read like 10, 15 pages of it and take notes. I have a ton of notes on this book. Yeah. Um, but like, it just feels like you're never making progress on it. I mean, mm-hmm. and so I read, I don't know, probably a hundred pages total. Yeah. And then I would, and then I would forget, I'd be like, what the fuck is going on? And I'd have to like go back and I would waste, you know, just hours trying to get in those first hundred pages. And then I would be like, okay, I kind of got what's going on. Let's just skip ahead and try to skim. And then, the book is impossible to skim. Uh-huh. Um, it, it's really interesting beast. I mean, it's fun. It's funny. Uh-huh. Uh, it's got very idiosyncratic, you know, language style throughout. But it's right. it's funny. But like, part of me wanted to like figure out like, okay, who are these people and what's going on in the book? Uh-huh. And that's actually like really hard to do. And I haven't heard a single fucking critic out there who's written <laughs> a, a, a coherent like book review of this thing. I don't know. If you find a human being who's read this whole thing and can make sense of it, send me the link. Awesome. Cause I want to read that. Uh-huh. Cool. I, I, I don't know, man, this thing is like, you could spend your life and it's like, what do you have to show for it? It's like, you're the guy who figured out the plot. of. Amazing. I mean, I'm sure that people in, in German have done it. I mean, that's the amazing thing is like this book is translated yeah. and it's been wow. in German for a long time. So I'm mm. sure there's like good German criticism of that book, but mm. man, it is, it is something else in English. I gotta, I gotta get my, I gotta just like hold this book and look at it. I've never had a chance to see it in real life. It sounds bananas. Jesus. It, it is really, <laughs> really amazing. Yeah. Cool. I love it. Uh, Kevin also wants to know, how do we feel about the new Penguin mini books? Have you gotten your hands on one yet? Are they A, the future of print, B, a millennial fad, C, destined for failure, or D, other? Uh, Matt and I both had to look this up. I'd never heard of this. I'd never heard of it. Uh, this The sense that I get is that they are kind of like um, smartphone screen size books uh, that are tiny. Um, John Green has a box set of them. They fit in your pocket. I don't know if they hold the complete work or not, or if they're, you know, just highlights or what. So I don't have much of a, a an insight here for you, Kevin. I'm sorry. Um, but if it's just a tiny book that's um, the full work, I think that seems fine. Uh, I did see uh, Madam Psychosis tweeted recently that Infinite Jest has been broken up into uh, four sections and sold as like a box set. It was not sold. That was just oh, like it's some not. one person's like art project. Oh, uh, okay. That was just like my bad. Yeah, that was just like an art project. Thing. Okay, I got duped. Okay, yeah, that's fine. No, it's not. It's not for sale. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, but it wouldn't be the first time we've seen that happen. Like twenty six sixty six is in has been broken up into three parts as a box set. That's the version that I own and read. Um, yeah. So uh, it wouldn't be surprising if that happened for Infinite Jest down the line. Uh, it would be surprising to me. You think so? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think they're going to mess with that too much, mm-hmm. but um, I do, I do like different formats of books. So like to answer your question, I bought some books over the holiday break that were quite tiny, um, like 
I really like really really tiny books. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a um, curator Molly Schwartzberg who has an essay in the Legacy of David Foster Wallace book mm-hmm. edited by Sam Cohen and Lee Constantine. Yep. Yep. And and she kind of also specializes in. Uh, the archives of miniature books, like really tiny books. Oh, cool. So, I mean, this is a concept that's been around like literally since like Gutenberg's Bible. Like, people <laughs> right. were like, how can we make this even smaller? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's definitely not revolutionary. Is it the future? It's probably more like the past. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm down with any gimmicks like to get people to buy, <laughs> buy more books. But sure. It's what it sounds like to me is like, it's kind of, it's kind of a gimmick. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, there you go. Um, cool. This has been uh, episode 44 of The Great Concavity. We want to thank some new patrons. We have uh, a small handful of, of new people who've uh, jumped on the wagon to support us. Uh, Rye Pickard, we want to thank you. Ryan Whalen, Brent McGee, Sylvia Worms, and the Evandara Affinity Twitter account. Thank you guys so much. Uh, speaking of which, we'd love to hear from you. If you want to get in touch with us, you can hit us up at concavityshow at gmail.com, concavityshow at Instagram, and on Twitter, and we're on Facebook. And if you have any um, you know, particular guests or kinds of guests that you want to hear from going forward in 2019, we would love to hear uh, some people that you'd like to see if we can talk to. Um, I actually just emailed... Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez this week to see if she would want to come on and talk about Infinite Jest and how she sees it uh, playing out on the contemporary American political landscape. She's talked about it recently in interviews and she's got it you know, on her Instagram account and stuff. We're, we're just going to swing for the fences here in 2019 and see what happens. Ho- hopefully she's busy fighting our <laughs> Johnny Gentle administration <laughs> and not going on podcasts. Yeah, but. hopefully. I'm, I'm sure she's very busy. Um but yeah, anyways, uh, we'll, we'll see what we can do. You know, Albert Einstein, we'll try and get him off. Let's go for that's it. A, that's a SNL joke. <laughs> Harry Carey. Um, and uh, as usual, thank you so much to Robin O'Neill and Parquet Courts for your art that is associated with our show. Any uh, final thoughts on the year 2018, Matt, or things you're looking forward to in 2019? Um, you know, I'm looking forward to um, building on a lot of the momentum with the Dave Foster Wallace Society, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll hopefully talk more about that. I think there's a lot of uh, exciting new scholarship coming out, a mm-hmm. lot of cool memoirs and novels, as usual, per every year. Um, and yeah, I th- I've you know I've got some plans for new podcast stuff, so stay tuned. Hopefully, we bring you some new exciting things mm-hmm. this year. Yeah, and thank you so much for listening this last year and for all your encouraging and ongoing awesome support we have the best listeners so thank you guys so much uh happy new year didn't do anything from days of heaven <laughs> or thin red line it did like i don't know 10 15 years without a director credit mm-hmm. to the Crazy. wonder that's the one i wanted to see and didn't maybe i should go back and watch that i don't know hmm. i actually know it still looks like shit to me never mind <laughs> <laughs>
Awesome.